0: All right. Good morning. Good to be with you. I'm Pastor Nate. I'm the lead pastor. If I don't know you, if you don't know me. We haven't met yet. Please, after the service, come say hello. Uh, Introduce yourselves to me uh, and like to get to know you a little bit more. We're going to be in Mark chapter 14. We're in a series uh, that we have been in for three years, Uh, even I think right around the pandemic we started. It's in the gospel of Mark. We're going to be finishing it, Lord willing, as we get to Easter. But these last, uh, this last three uh, chapters of the, of the book, we are going to be walking through over the next uh, few weeks, leading up to Easter, finishing this book. We're calling it 40 Days of Prayer. It's, we're following the, the traditional Lenten calendar, and we're participating in the season of decrease, participating as a church. We encourage you to do so. Many of you are. Uh, where you're fasting from something, you're taking, you're removing something from your life or some things from your life in order to increase your your walk with Jesus, your sense of intimacy with him, or in many of our cases, your sense of suffering with him. My wife and I were talking about it this week. I'm like, man, this is tough. This is hard to give up some of these things. This isn't easy. And I said, it must mean that we're doing it right. (laughs) Because if it's easy, you're missing it somehow. And she's like, you know, you've been a little bit more irritable Lately, and I said, I must be doing this right, because it hurts, right? It's, it's painful. And part of what the, the Lenten season does, this, this decrease in our life, is it reveals our own human weakness, doesn't it? It reveals our dependence, our frailty on him, and how easily we, we feel like we need these things. We need snacks at night, or we need soda, or we need our entertainment in order to, to live, to exist, to thrive. And when we remove some of these things, it shows us just how weak we are. And what it's meant to do is draw us deeper into the suffering with Jesus. See, Lent for many of us should feel at times like a mountaintop, but a lot of the times should feel a little bit more like the 40 days in the wilderness like Jesus experienced, like battle. And so if you feel like it's a battle, you're in the right place. So I wanna pray for you that the Lord would continue to give you the strength over these this next uh, many days to be able to, to hold, uh, hold on to those areas that you're, that you're uh, willingly, sacrificially giving up, and pray for our time in the word, okay? So let's do that together. Father, we want to uh, come before you, come and quiet our hearts before you before we get into the word, but I also want to pray, as Paul said to the young Timothy, uh, that we've received a, a spirit not of timidity or fear, but one of power and love and self-discipline. And so I pray that the Spirit would be in us and, and working with our self-discipline over this season. Give us the strength, Lord. May we meet you on that road to suffering as we encounter you from Mark 14 to 16, as you decreased yourself to the point of suffering, even death on the cross. And so, Lord, as we meet you today, speak to us through your word. May we see uh, may we see this Lord's Supper that we're going to talk about today in a new light, in a powerful new way, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you are joining us online, we want to welcome you. Thanks for being with us. You can maybe pause and grab some elements because we want you to participate as we get to the end of the service. We're going to be participating in the Lord's Supper. We do this once a month. Uh, together as a church. This one's a little bit different because we're actually going to be preaching on the text where all of this began. Now, uh, we get to talk about one of my favorite things in the whole world, which is dinner. Food. I'm a foodie. Maybe you're a foodie. I love to eat, and I especially love dinner with friends. Uh, That's one of my favorite things to do is get together with friends and share a meal together. Now, the meal that we're going to talk about today in Mark 14 is no ordinary meal. This is a meal, this is a dinner with friends that literally changed the world forever. I've never been part of a meal that changed the world forever. I've been a part of a meals that have changed my waistline. I've been a part of meals that maybe changed a relationship with someone or, or a perspective, but never changed the world. This meal, of course, what we're talking about is the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper, as we call it in... Uh, in in tradition. The Last Supper happened 2,000 years ago, and we are still, of course, talking about it today. Churches around the world, uh, across languages and cultures, different denominations, have been practicing this, observing this for centuries, dwelling on its deep significance. Uh, Both Catholics and Christians have considered this one of, if not the most, essential uh, central element of what we do when we gather together. And so today, we want to go deeper into the meaning behind it, into the significance. We kind of want to talk about the origin story of the Lord's Supper. And so that's what we're going to do today. My hope, my prayer, is that the same thing that the Spirit did in me, He would do in you, as I was studying for this this week, He really developed in me just a sense of awe and wonder at what it is that Jesus did... Fill my heart with gratitude, and I pray that he would do the same to you as we study this text. So we're in Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Passover. Now, here we are on Thursday night of Passion Week, that fi- the final days, the final hours of Jesus' life. And this Thursday happened to be also the Jewish holiday known as the Passover, which was celebrated each year uh, by Jews all over the world. Now, Galilean Jews, of which Jesus and his disciples were, they celebrated Passover on Thursday because they considered sunrise the sunrise to be Passover, whereas the Jews on the south, the Judean, Jerusalem Jews, celebrated Passover on Friday because they considered it sundown to sundown. Now, that little factoid is important as we get later into the story, but just kind of hold on to that for a moment. Uh, now, this Passover meal is something that, was, that marked the people of Jerusalem, the people of Judea, all the Jews um, in, in this area mark them as a people group. It kind of set them out as one of the most, if not the most, important of all Jewish holidays. It was celebrated for 1,500 years since the Exodus, and people, no matter where they were scattered, even during exiles, practiced this Passover meal. Now, how many of you have been to a Jew, Jewish Seder before? Raise your hand if you've been to a Jewish, Jewish Seder. So maybe a quarter or 20% of you, all of you are going to be invited into a Passover Seder um, on Thursday of Holy Week. We're going to experience a Passover Seder here on that Thursday night. Uh, Dan, Dan, I saw you over there. Raise your hand. Dan is one of our members here. He works for a great ministry um, that, that, called Friends of Israel that um, helps serve and teach uh, on, on uh, uh, the Jewish people and how to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's a part of that. He's going to lead us through that. Um, And so I promised him I wouldn't steal all of his thunder uh, today. So we're going to leave a lot of that uh, to, to Dan. And so you don't want to miss that. You can mark your calendars for that. Okay, let's go back into the text, verse 13. So Jesus sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. And so the disciples left, went into the city, and they found things just as Jesus told them. And so they prepared the Passover. Now, am I the only one that... Thinks his, his story's a little bit bizarre at first reading. Do, do you hear what is happening here? It kind of sounds like, um, like a mission impossible kind of secret plan. Why was Jesus being so, you know, covert ops here? you ever wonder that as you look at the text? I mean, why didn't he just say when the disciples say, hey, where are we going to do Passover? Why didn't he say, hey, it's going to be in Ben's house, you know, on 14th and Market? He doesn't say that. So why, why the secretiveness? Well, I'm going to speculate here, but I think, it's, um, I think it's some educated speculation here. I think the reason that Jesus is being so secretive here is because of one word, Judas. You remember that Judas would betray him. Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him, and this would have been the perfect opportunity to betray Jesus. After all, the streets would have been dark uh, they would have been confined into a room, a private house. No one would know that it's coming. This would have been the perfect place to sick onto Jesus the temple guards uh, under the Sanhedrin and arrest him right that very moment. And so Jesus, not only is he you know, gentle as a lamb, he's also shrewd as a viper. He knew, Judas is going to be- try to betray me. I'm not going to give him the opportunity to do it here. Now, why do I think that's important? I think it's important because this was not Jesus's time yet. The time for his betrayal was not yet at hand. And God in his sovereign power, God in his redemptive plans operates on his timetable, not the timetable of man. Whether Judas or any of the other religious leaders thought otherwise, God is completely and utterly in control in this moment. So, with that being said, let's continue to read on. Verse 17, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12. And While they were reclining at the table, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they were saddened, and one by one, they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the 12, he replied one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Now, I wonder how many of you have ever been betrayed by a friend before. If you've been betrayed by someone who you've been in relationship with, you know how devastating it is. You know it can be one of the most painful human experiences we can have. Jesus here is betrayed by a friend. In the most intimate and meaningful displays of friendship and family in the Jewish custom, at a Passover meal, you didn't just invite anyone to the Passover meal. This was intimate friends and family, and it was in this moment is a devastating revelation he would be betrayed, treachery against the Son of God. Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Now, Mark is subtle here. He doesn't name the betrayer. Of course, we know it. The readers uh, that originally read Mark's gospel would have known it. But we need to understand the disciples would not have known yet. Obviously, they're bewildered. They have no clue who it is, who it could be. They're going around, is it me? Is it him? Who is it? One commentator says it like this. For three years, Judas had been the most clever of hypocrites. When they preached, he preached. When they prayed, he prayed. Apparently, when they healed, he was out there healing. And in their shock and disbelief, they had no clue. I mean, this is wolf in sheep's clothing. It's alarming that somebody could be that close, experience all the things of Jesus for 3 years and yet yet be in complete rebellion against him. And so as devastating as this is, Jesus is betrayed. Remember remember that Jesus is human. Remember that he experienced the pain and the grief in his heart of betrayal and yet None of that disrupted a single thread of Jesus' mission that night. Not a single bit changed anything about Jesus' plans and his purpose and his love and his rescue and his deliverance that he was planning. This is the reason that he came. Because what Judas and what Satan intended for evil, God always intends for our good. And that is exactly what we're going to see soon. Now, with this context set, let's get into the significance of the meal, verse 22, where it says this, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it, and he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, we're, we're a family here, right? We can trust each other, right? We can, we can trust, we can be honest with each other here. How many of you, as I was reading that, just maybe even for a moment, sort of tuned out? Just, just for a moment, you can, you can raise your hand. A few brave souls. God bless you. See? Okay, okay. All right, not so many of you, that's not great. But yeah, okay. So some of you tuned out. It makes sense why we tune out a little bit. Because many of us have heard this text since we were wee little kids. Read over and over again. If you come from a Catholic tradition, probably every Sunday, you've heard this text. It's a very familiar reading. We kind of know it. And it's easy when we've heard something so many times to allow it to just sort of wash over us and move on, to not dwell in the significance of this. In fact, it's even possible for you to participate in this hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of times, and yet miss out on the significance of it. We can be very transactional people. We check it off the Christian check mark, say, yep, we did that, let's move on. And so we want to pause here and see the significance, slow down, and see what this is all about so we can take in the magnitude for ourselves. In order to understand what is happening here, we need to look into more detail of the Passover Seder. What is the Passover Seder? Now, I'm not going to go into too much detail here because we want to save some of that for that Thursday uh, Passover Seder during Holy Week, but we need to get a basic understanding. The Passover was an annual meal that commemorated the defining moment of Israel, which was the deliverance of bondage from 430 years of slavery in Egypt. The Passover meal had a specific form about it. There are certain uh, read and response moments that happen. There are certain courses and things that you do. There's prayers. Uh, that happened, and as you see up here, there was four cups of wine that you would participate in each one of these movements. And at the end of uh, the time together, there would be a hymn sung together called a Hallel, which you actually see in the text. Jesus and his disciples sing together. So this is the Passover Seder that Jesus is participating in. Now, whoever the host of the meal was had certain things that they would say. One of the things that they would do is they would bless the elements, they would bless the courses as it goes. And when they got to the bread, it would have been very common for whoever the host was to say, this is the bread of our affliction, of the deliverance from our agony of slavery in Egypt. And then they would partake in that together. And so, as Jesus, as the host of this meal he begins to bless the elements. And he talks about the bread, and instead of saying what every single other host would have said for 1,500 years, Jesus says something different for the first time. Instead of saying this is the bread of our affliction, Jesus says this is the bread that symbolizes me. This bread is me. This bread symbolizes my affliction. affliction in which he would go to the cross to experience. This bread would not only symbolize the struggle and the deliverance from slavery in Egypt, but it would symbolize what would need to be done in order to free our souls, cosmic deliverance from our sin and death. You understand what Jesus was doing in this moment. He was instituting something brand new that had ever been done and saying, every single one of these uh, experiences of the Seder, every single time we've lifted up the bread, all of it has been about me. All of it has been pointing to me. I am the central figure in all of human history. The same way he did, he blessed the bread, he also then came to the cup. And again, in order to understand the cup, we need to go back to Passover history from Exodus chapter 12. Now, remember in the Exodus story, Pharaoh, he hardened his heart toward Moses. He hardened his heart toward God, and he would not let the people go. Remember, let my people go. Some of you remember that song. Remember watching the movie, right? You remember the plagues, right? So all these plagues are coming, and they finally get to the last plague. It's a 10th plague. And in this plague. The divine justice of God was going to come down on Egypt for one night. And when that divine judgment would come down, that justice would come down, it would kill the firstborn son in every single household. Now, you need to understand that in this text, it doesn't say... Israel, don't worry, you're going to be skipped over because you guys are the good guys and the Egyptians are the bad guys. That's not what it says. Why? Well, because evil and sin and human rebellion go down and flow down the center of every single human heart. You cannot divide the world between the good people and the bad people, the good guys and the bad guys, because the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one does what is righteous. All of us deserve death, the just punishment for our sin. All of us contribute to human suffering in this world. All of us rebel. All of us have been apathetic to God and his ways. And so the Israelite people fall into the same camp, It wasn't their good works that were going to save them. It wasn't trying harder to be good people that was going to save them. It wasn't their being the right race that was going to save them. It wasn't being victims of a social hierarchy that was going to save them. None of these things were going to save them. So there's a problem. What are they going to do when God's divine justice comes down? Well, they were told there's only one thing. There's only one way for you to be delivered. And that was to kill a lamb, eat it that night, and take the lamb's blood and paint the doorway of your household. That's the only way you would be saved. When God's divine justice would come down that night, the only way one would be saved is by taking shelter under the blood of the lamb. That's it. One, uh, Tim Keller, uh, a pastor that I quote often, I appreciate his work, he says this, that night, in every single home in Egypt, there was either a dead son or a dead lamb. There was either a dead son or a dead lamb. One or the other, they were only saved on the basis of faith in a substitute. Faith in a substitute. Now, you might say, well, why lamb's blood? I mean, what, what's its significance? How does lamb's blood exempt them from God's justice? Well, it wasn't the lamb. It was what the lamb represented. So, well, what does that mean? Let's go back to Jesus' Passover Seder. Do you remember? He's there. He's talking about the bread. He's talking about the cup. We need to understand that this would have been the weirdest Passover Seder in the history of Israel. And the reason is because there was no main course. Not a single gospel talks about a main course at any point during this Passover Seder. Where's the lamb shank? I mean, that's the main course. Have you, what if I invited you over to our house for dinner, and all we served you is bread and wine? You'd be kicking your date under the table, and be like, what is with the keelers? They're so weird. How stingy. We're going to have to stop at McDonald's on the way back after this meal, right? It would be really strange. It was strange back then. It would be strange today. Where's the lamb shank? Where's the main course? Of course, you know the answer, the reason that there was no main course. There was the, the reason is because the lamb was not on the table. The lamb was at the table, Jesus Christ himself. He is the Lamb of God. Do you remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming to him in the wilderness? What did he say? Behold the Lamb of God that what? Takes away the sins of the world. Now, where in the world did John the Baptist get that? Nobody calls people lambs. I mean, we call people the goat, right? Greatest of all time. But back then, nobody called... Human beings, lambs, where did he get that? He got it from that great messianic prophecy in Isaiah 53. Do you remember what the prophet said? He said that he was oppressed and afflicted like a lamb to the slaughter. He poured out his life unto death. What did Jesus say when he lifted the cup? said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you. What was Jesus saying? I am the fulfillment of the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It is my blood that is spilled. The millions of other lambs that had been slaughtered for the Passover, all just pointed to him, the Lamb of God. And this is why this Passover meal was truly the greatest and the last Passover meal. This marked the end of an old covenant observance of Passover, which is just a mere shadow of the substance, the substance being Jesus Christ himself, his body, his blood shed for us. And it's why the last Passover became the first Lord's Supper, and we've been practicing it for over 2,000 years. As we prepare to take this Lord's Supper together, I want to give you two simple applications for our lives today, two things that you can meditate on and, and think about as we prepare our hearts to take up communion. The first is this, to take in this gift of deliverance to take it into ourselves. Jesus said, take this bread and eat it. Take this cup and drink it. And I think it's a perfect metaphor of God's grace and what faith is really all about, the meal. This meal is is not something we earn. We do nothing to get it. It is given to us as a gift. And we don't just observe this meal. We don't just like listen to it and look at it and say, oh, that's nice. What do we do? We take it in ourselves. We absorb the bread. We take in the drink into ourselves. And I think it's a perfect metaphor of what faith is all about. Because our our salvation is by grace, it's a gift given to us, but it's not something that we just intellectualize. It's not something that we just observe and, and say we intellectually assent to the historicity of Jesus and his death and his resurrection. No, it's something that we take in. Our, to ourselves. It's something we absorb and take it in personally and say, not only did he die, but he died for me. I accept this. I'm taking it in to myself. Have you taken in Jesus's death and his resurrection for you, for your deliverance? Take that in today. Secondly, I want us to remember the cost of deliverance, to remember the cost of deliverance. Remember what Jesus said in Luke twenty-two nineteen. 19, do this in remembrance of me. We do this in remembrance of the cost of what it took to deliver us as his people. You know the great hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us? There's a great line in there that says this, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. I want you to personalize this. We're going to give you an opportunity in just a moment to meditate and think about this, but personalize. It was your sin, you as an individual, that held him there on the cross. Think about the sin that is in your life that you are so ashamed of, the sin that if somebody found out, you would fear that they would reject you. And think about the everyday run-of-the-mill sins that we all commit. It was your sin and my sin that held him there on the cross. I want you to, to personalize that and confess that to the Lord. Confess that sin. But don't stay there. Don't stay there in the confession because that confession should well up in praise and gratitude to the Lord. Why? Well, what does the hymn say? It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. It was done away with. It was finished. Every single sin, your whole rap sheet of sin, past, present, future, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. He bears it for us. And so we can praise God that we are not under our guilt and our sin anymore. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus anymore. Now I realize that some of us here, if you're honest with yourself, we still, we still don't really believe that. There's some of us here that are struggling with that. You say, I don't, I can't fully accept that I could be forgiven. I f- still feel like there's things I need to do, that I need to work harder to earn it somehow. Friends, I want to encourage you to just let that go and, and by faith trust that it's been accomplished. Do you know who was at that last supper? at the table, men who betrayed him, men who fell asleep when he needed them the most, men who abandoned him in his suffering, in his trial, in his road to the cross, men who denied him three times, but they even knew him, and God forgave them. Jesus restored them. Jesus forgave them and sent them out in ministry. Friends, if if Jesus forgave them, surely he forgives you. His blood is powerful enough to forgive you. Trust that. Take shelter under the blood of the lamb. We're gonna now enter into a time of the Lord's Supper. And if you haven't received a little communion cup, now is your opportunity. You can just slip your hand up, leave it up, Until you get um, the elements, the ushers will be passing those out as they come up. You do not have to be a member of our church in order to participate in this. We just ask that you trust the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, that you are actively, personally taking shelter under the blood of the lamb. We want to give you opportunity to take these moments to confess sin, but then to well up in praise and awe and wonder of the cost of your sin that it was accomplished once and for all. So as this music's playing, you just go before the Lord and talk to him now as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper.